This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, can I please have your attention? Daniel Digger! Greetings, dear listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg, host of the Remnant Podcast, brought to you by the Dispatch and Dispatch Media. Come on by the Dispatch, check out our stuff. Um, become a member if you can, it would be great. Um, and uh, just so uh, listeners, I got some concerned emails from people about me being sort of cryptic about how I felt yesterday and or the, in the at the end of the Continetti podcast. Um, and uh, so I will be trans relatively transparent, but not detailed with with listeners because details are the last thing anybody wants. Um, as some of you may know, I have periodic bouts with uh, diverticulitis which is a gross and uh, sometimes extremely painful uh, condition. And, um, but I've gotten so used to it that I, you know, my doctor pre-prescribes antibiotics for me and I just keep them around. The first time I feel a twinge of it, I start taking them and it tends to deal with it. And this time I got a strain or a version of it that was um, immune to the antibiotics. And it got so bad. Um, that immediately after I recorded the Continetti episode, I had an emergency visit with my doctor and got a CAT scan. And I was really worried that it was something worse because it was really, really bad. And, um, got new antibiotics, took a sleeping pill, took, uh, took enough antibiotics to ward off, uh, an anthrax terror attack. And, um, uh, and took a sleeping pill around eight 30 last night. And, um, Busted out a massive fever, which was a good sign because it meant the fever was breaking. Um, and so I still, I'm not out of the woods. I still don't feel great, but I feel like a thousand percent better than I did this time yesterday. And I feel at least the illusion of clear headedness. This, te- this podcast will test that proposition. So anyway, I just wanted to let people know. And so since I was worried that I needed training wheels on this one, because I was, wasn't sure if I would just start going incoherent and shouting like Joe Biden, get these squirrels off of me halfway in <laughs> that, um, I get, uh, some, uh, the equivalent of, 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 uh, medical assistant or sort of assisted living type podcast people. So I had, <laughs> I had Ryan Brown, uh, from the dispatch and guy, my, uh, <coughs> trusty and obedient transatlantic research assistant. Uh, so they are here today. Uh, good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Jonah. Thanks for Good morning, guy. morning, master. But it's not morning for you there, is it? Uh, I choose to pretend it is. Um, oh, I see. Do you set all the clocks to like East Coast time <laughs> just to like feel like you're I here? Do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I should uh, say. Daily savings time is really going to mess you up. Two, oh, two yeah. things I should say. First of all, one, apologies in advance, but my audio is bad as always. Hopefully it'll be good very soon. <laughs> but also, two, I'm a bit concerned because Jonah's abuse has very much plateaued in recent weeks. He's been surprisingly polite on all fronts, which to me either suggests that I'm doing a good job and he's happy or that I'm doing a terrible job and he's too disgusted to even abuse me for it and I'm about to be fired. The latter. (laughs) Ryan is nodding in the the latter. Yeah, so... The latter. Both of those explanations are plausible and... (laughs) uh, um. And each has some merit to it. I'll just be honest. <laughs> but um, there are other things. Also, you know, just having a... One of the things that you realize, particularly when you get older, is like when your body just starts screwing with you and you start having acute pain kind of things, you're, you're, you're reminded of your mortality and, 
and <laughs> the the sort of casual cruelty that I visit upon you seems less justified sure. in the grand scheme of things. I mean, sure. they put it this way. I want to be just want to be very clear about something. If I were on my deathbed, I wouldn't give you a lot of thoughts. <laughs> but <laughs> I that said, one sort of wants to take stock and and, and adjust. So uh, if if you are if if you're missing the the cruelty, I'm I'm happy to amp it up. <laughs> yeah. I just don't want you to read too much into it one way or the other. He's gonna have to start taking his diverticulitis anger out on somebody, and you just that's, open the door wide open that's for true. yourself. Yes. That is that is right. <laughs> that is right. And I googled that by the way. Spent about uh -huh. thirty seconds researching it because I was like, this seems like the worst, the worst thing to happen to a human being. It's not it the worst awful. thing. I mean, to be brutally honest, it's, I mean, there are, there <laughs> it are seems worse bad. things. Yeah. It's not good. It's not good. And it's, and it's gross. So like when you start talking yeah. about it, it's just, it's not cool. Um, mm -hmm. but like, so don't Google it. America. Don't Google it. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. I, just I, trust I, us. It's bad. <laughs> I as, Google as, it as, and then as, swiftly clicked away. So no, don't yeah, Google yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, if you read through, through the whole page, you'd actually turn to stone. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, I am um, like, but there are, there are other conditions that like, I mean, like real migraines would bum me out so mm. much. And, um, uh, gout is yeah awful. I mean, truly awful. Yeah. And yeah. so there's a lot of those kinds of things. And, and you, you, I don't know which ones you guys are going to get you freaking whippersnappers, <laughs> but you're going to get some of these things eventually. Um, the anticipation is killing me. <laughs> <laughs> or actually very much keeping me alive. <laughs> actually. But it just, it, it's so funny how like uh, I heard on Conan O'Brien recently. O'Brien said that his wife says that when men turn 40, they turn into 16 year old girls. <laughs> and uh or something like that and the gist of it was they start all start talking about their diet and like all of these <laughs> things that like no dude really talks about you know in their 20s and 30s um and, and i'm already there i talk about my diet too much yeah well it's, it's it's once once you start thinking about it it's really hard to get out of your head you know yeah but, um all right anyway um i guess the big topics of the week are just friggin' virginia and new jersey right but we've yep. talked about them I will say, so there was someone in the comments. I got a little snarky um, in my fever deluded what? Um, uh, dementia the other night or yesterday or at some point in the past um, uh, who claimed that I was when I, when I was talking about continent, talking with Continetti and I said that at the um, uh, that the explanation that was all over the place on MSNBC was that this was all about racism in Virginia. And he accused me of raising a straw man and, mm -hmm. and like, you should use specifics to explain, you know, who, who's saying this and who isn't. And I responded, if I, if I remember correctly, um, your children will weep when they see what I've done to you. No, I, I, I responded, <laughs> um, that it's perfectly fair to demand specifics. Um, but it's unfair to say I used a straw man, right? Like I could have yeah, just yeah. skipped giving specifics, but that doesn't mean what I was saying was untrue or made up on my part. And so I, I dropped in, which is in, you can, if you go to the comments on that show, you can see it. There's this super cut that uh, Tom Elliott did um, of just rapid fire. One MSNBC guest and CNN guest mm -hmm. after another saying, this is racism. It was all about racism, yeah. it was white backlash. Blah, 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 for like five minutes or something like that. Dog so, whistles. Is, is this what you want? And yeah. <laughs> um, it wasn't Pat so, Ryan, surprisingly. He didn't leave that call. It wasn't. Yeah. So uh <laughs> although I haven't checked what? back, I'm sure he's like been <laughs> ditto heading at so yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure he's in there. I'm curious. Uh it's clear on election night on Twitter, I guess, which isn't real life, but it's very clear to me that people of one political persuasion, whether they want to admit it or not love to watch the other channel <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean and i wonder why i wonder why i wonder why that is well wait, wait, no i think i think if that night is going well for them they want to watch mm. the other channel right because you want to watch caveat yeah if you want to watch uh when biden won you want to watch fox if you're a liberal right. 
to right. see how they explain it away, how they contextualize yeah, that's a good it. Point. Um, like one of the great episodes from Tuesday night or when I think it was Tuesday night, uh, was after the results were pretty much in for Virginia, Lawrence O'Donnell, who I find <laughs> fairly insufferable, yeah. um, maybe even unfairly insufferable. Um, <laughs> he, he comes on and he points out, he says, Basically, wow, Terry McAuliffe did an amazing thing tonight. He almost broke basically an iron law of, of Virginia history because nobody has ever done what he almost did. And you're like, what? what, is, what where is this going? And then he explains <laughs> yeah, that only one governor in Virginia history, according to him, or something like this, had been, mm-hmm. you know, because they have one term, it's a one term yeah. governorship, right? So, yeah. who had been, elected governor, then waited, and then ran again and won. And then he says, wow, that guy had been a Democrat, and then he ran again as a Republican. So no Democrat in all of Virginia history <laughs> has ever successfully been reelected governor. Wow. And it's like, and, he's, and he tried to, and he tried to, like, he, he could almost, he, could, he couldn't even really keep a straight face while he was doing it. Um, yeah. <laughs> But like, if that's your takeaway, that the yeah. just the cold historical forces of, you know, Virginia electoral patterns are, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's at least a more honorable explanation. It's yeah. dumber. I mean, it's like yeah. even dumber than like saying it was all about race. <laughs> but yeah. it was it was such stupid spin, and yeah. that stuff is kind of you know is is delicious is to yeah. see them or like all of a sudden they'll highlight like all of a sudden like the new mayor of boston Mm -hmm. became like this world historic amazing thing because she was an asian american woman and it's a big deal she's the first like non-fat white guy to be mayor of boston since (laughs) 1614 or whatever but um and that's great but like no one was going into this thinking that was going to be the election to watch for the night right it was only because that was the only consolation prize that the democrats had out of it so all of a sudden they elevated it much higher and um and it's also fun to watch the the dog to listen for the dogs that don't bark so like msnbc does this is all about racism this is all about racism this is all about racism and they never mentioned for like hours into the night that the lieutenant governor of virginia who just got elected was the first african-american woman to be elected yeah you know, right, right, like, right. wait yeah. so the, all these guys voted for yunkin because of racism but they also <laughs> voted for the lieutenant governor because of racism you know it's, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I like mm-hmm. that stuff but um i do think since you yeah, brought I guess it up that makes sense um um i do think that that tiki torch thing um yeah what was you know the lincoln project yes. thing, whatever that hasn't you know I don't think that that's gotten nearly the attention it it deserves because and and sort of what it represented because for all the talk about how Yunkin was using racist dog whistles which I just don't think he right. was uh yeah you make them racist dog whistles if you turn them if you say they are right I mean like you turn it in clamoring for him yeah. right and so McAuliffe was campaigning over and over and over and over again claiming that everything was a racist dog whistle, that they want to ban Tony Morrison. He was the one who was playing the race card over and over and over again. Yeah. And then they took it to 11 with the, the fake alt-right thing because, and what offends me about that is that, look, I, I think the, the actual Charlottesville thing was hor- horrifying and a, right. a true sign of the, of the growing corruption on parts of the right that, that that wasn't condemned more than it was. I mean, it was condemned. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to say the Republican party was like, yeah. yay, look at all these guys yelling. Jews will not replace us. I don't remember that. Yeah. Happening. But, um, if you're willing to sort of borrow on the symbology and the images and the, 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 the cultural power of an outrage like that for a cheap partisan stunt, you're the one who's minimizing Charlottesville. You can say, oh, the Republicans are right. minimizing racism in Charlottesville, but you're the ones who did some sort of Epcot Center prank <laughs> BS about, you know, racism and then yeah. tried to, and at first they pretended that they were 
legitimately outraged by this thing as if it was not their hoax. That's, and, it was just so horribly done. Like, who did they think, one, that they were going to convince? Like, oh, this will this will sway a few voters. Particularly with the black neo-Nazi. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, that was, yeah, yeah. But I'm sure the people behind um, it do still sincerely believe that they were the ones who got Biden elected and thwarted Trump last year, even though. Yeah. <laughs> but it can work. It works against Trump. It doesn't work against Glenn. Right. Who's just like a nice guy from Virginia. Right. And, and, and like, but also to sort of guys point, I mean, the Lincoln project is basically now just a, a liberal super PAC that the people they drain money from still think has like influence or power mm-hmm. on the right. When in fact mm-hmm. it is negative power. Like the second it, right. Yeah. If, 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 the Lincoln Project came out for tax cuts and a strong defense. We'd probably net lose Republicans who were in favor of tax cuts and a strong defense because, like, <laughs> no one wants to be associated with the thing. Right. So, right. Yeah. Um, all right. So, how, what? I mean, again, guy doesn't matter because, like, Thank you. He, <laughs> I know, a, Jonah. I know. He's an English shut-in, and and they have weird things there. But, like, like, Ron, what what news? What is your primary form of news consumption? Uh, the dispatch.com. Correct answer. No, I actually, I, I will admit somewhat embarrassingly, it, it is Twitter. Yeah. Um, and for all its faults, I think if you do Twitter correctly, if you follow the right people and the right sources of information, it's not the worst place in the world. And I just never click and look in the comments. And I don't tweet enough to get like personal hate. Yeah. Um, I think it was Andrea Mitchell tweets, once. Ryan, don't worry. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And if I'm not seeing them, then please let me know. Um, no, it was Andrea Mitchell once said, she was like, it's the best wire service we've ever had. Yeah. That's basically what it is. If you follow the right reporters and I mean, I'm on the Hill so much that we all follow each other. And uh, if something happens, you're going to know about it because yeah. everyone sends a bunch of tweets. Um, no, I think that's right. I mean, if if you're following it for uh, as a curated wire service, I mean, which, yeah. which I admit is one of the reasons I use it, you know, or mm-hmm. one of the things I use it mm-hmm. for. Um, mm-hmm. I could see that, yeah. that like Facebook, if you just use it, as as you were saying, Ryan, to that point, as essentially a chat room for your friends, then fair enough. It's not that repulsive. I mean, I used to have Facebook. Yeah. I deleted it years ago. But what I liked the most about it when I was on it we were all of the groups on there where people with incredibly niche interests could all come together and yeah. talk for hours at a time about subjects that in the real world, they probably wouldn't have know anyone who they could actually <laughs> discuss them with. I'm sure Twitter's the same way to, to a certain extent. Although I did, one thing that did make me laugh, I avoid, I don't look on Twitter any more than I walk into the monkey cage at the zoo. But I did see, now that I'm manning the remnant <laughs> Twitter feed, I did see earlier in the week something that I thought was hilarious, Jonah, where in the Let's Go Brandon column, one of the Mm -hmm. uh, insane liberal tweets about the pilot saying Let's Go Brandon that you mentioned was by, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name because I'll butcher it, but Dean uh, Obadalo, yeah, whatever that guy's name is, yeah. And you called him out for for tweeting, Southwest Airlines is now the pro-Jan 6 terrorist attack airlines. And he responded to you on Twitter saying, "Uh, Jonah, you're the stupid one, because this was clearly an attempt to satirize and troll the right, and you just bought right into it. (laughs) Which, the joke was hilarious if that was the case. I was impressed. It was the dumbest... (laughs) I mean, it, it was a to me. It was like such a <laughs> profound self own, right? It like, because first of all, he also said the whole column was about his tweet, right? Which is just yeah. what you know, social scientists Read call it, a lie. But, yeah. um, <laughs> and um, uh, but moreover, he, like the the general gist of the column, which is also stuff I've been writing and talking about on here for a long time, is that I'm I'm sick of trolling for trolling's sake, right? And that people who use their platforms for, for performative stuff and blah, blah, blah. And here he is basically admitting. Like, and I, first of all, I th- again, I think he's lying. I, I, I think 
he tweeted that to have people believe it on the merits, right? right? And he, that that and um, but what I kind of love are the are people who you know I have this thing about people who don't understand the difference between um an excuse and an explanation. Um, mm-hmm. like let's just take him at his word that that he he tweeted this thing purely uh, as trolling and doesn't actually believe it. My hunch is that one in 5,000 people who read the original tweet saw it as that, and the rest believed him that that's what he actually believed. And he has to know that. And so like when you say, Oh, I was just trolling. That's another way of saying I was lying about what I actually believe (laughs) to make other people angry at me. So then I can make fun of them for being angry at me, which is asinine, you know, in sort of every single waste of time for everyone involved. essentially. (laughs) Right. I mean, again, so it's like, if he's telling the truth, he's a jack. And if he's lying, he's a jack. But other than that, you know, it's a great argument. Yeah. And see, that's the part of Twitter. I just kind of ignore, like, I just don't really pay much attention to it. Yeah. Guys, so you mentioned Facebook, which is now meta, gentlemen. You can't use Facebook anymore. Although the social media platform is still Facebook, but the, the, uh, the company name is Meta. What, do you, what did you guys make of that announcement? Guy, do you have any thoughts? I'm on not that? sure I even fully understood. Did that news make it across the... It, why don't you <laughs> bring it down it first, the... Ryan, and then we can ask the thoughts, because oh. I didn't even really understand Lucky it. for you. <laughs> Lucky for you, I wrote a whole article about it, so you can read that. <laughs> Put it in the show notes. Um, No, so Meta is Facebook, the company Facebook that owns Instagram, WhatsApp, um, virtual reality stuff, all of that. The blanket term Facebook is now Meta. Mark Zuckerberg wants to create a metaverse of like virtual reality where we can all live. It's, I watched the whole presentation when he announced it. It is, it's terrifying if it actually happens. I don't think it'll actually happen. They admitted in the, presentation that they just don't have the technology for it a lot of folks thinks it think it's just a distraction from all the horrible headlines that have come out about facebook recently um but basically what i took away from it was mark zuckerberg came to the conclusion that he cannot take over this world so he just made a different one (laughs) and that's the metaverse so so the the idea was like a, a an entire virtual reality where everyone on Facebook would be able to jack into or whatever. I still don't get what he actually wants. Literally, yes. Like it's like about as apocalyptic as you can think it would be. Like he in his in Mark Zuckerberg's mind, you wake up in the morning, you put on your virtual reality headset, you go to work, you just go to your living room, sit down, and then you're in your office virtually. Um, you can have a virtual apartment where you can design it any way you want. Uh, <laughs> If you're missing a concert, that you, this one was kind of cool, but if you're missing a concert that your friends are at, you can pop on your headset and you're there. Uh, some of it is cool. Like I was talking to a friend about it and we were on the phone and he was like, well, it'd be kind of cool if we could virtually be in the same room. I said, yeah, that's, that's true. But it's the whole building another world thing that I thought was, was a little freaky. Yeah, so I have, I have been, like, I don't want to be one of these dudes who... Like, you know, there are these great quotes from famous people saying, you know, there aren't more than three people who will ever need a personal computer Mm -hmm. or, you know, um, Mm -hmm. the Internet's not going to amount to like, I think Paul once said the Internet is like the fax (laughs) machine will be remembered like the fax machine. That kind of thing. Um, I'm not that guy. (laughs) You punk kids Um, with your guitars. (laughs) That said, I'm very skeptical they can make this thing work. And, um, um, and so for a couple different reasons, first of all, like there are a bunch of, like he's not wrong or he's he's representing something is, he's, this is representative of something real. I've talked to Silicon Valley types who've been working on it. Like one of the great ironies, and I'm sure it's very disappointing to a lot of them is that prior to COVID, a bunch of people in Silicon Valley really, really, really worked very, very hard on this virtual stuff because they thought this mm-hmm. idea of having virtual meetings is it's all these rich people 
and they're like, why should we all have to pay these property rate, property taxes and prop and, and housing prices? You know, we can put our people all over the place and just do everything virtually. And so like, it, like it appeals to them culturally in a way that it doesn't to like a lot of normals. And, um, but the problem is, is that like, so then you have COVID and all of a sudden everyone's zooming and, um, and it turns out that like lots of people at the end of the day just really don't like it. Right. And, <laughs> exactly. and, and like, it, it, like we can't necessarily all articulate why it's not the same thing as being in person, but we all know it's not the same thing as being in person. It's not as valuable as being in person. And I'm sure a lot of those people are bummed. So I think it was kind of weird that Zuckerberg it took the moment when everybody was sick of virtual engagement 1.0 and tried to sell virtual engagement 2.0 as if it would be better. It's just a weird sort of seizing mm -hmm. the moment kind of thing. But then there's the broader problem. So like one of the reasons why this stuff doesn't work as well as face-to-face -face is there is all sorts of stuff in your brain that doesn't necessarily have to do with visual cues or just listening to someone or watching someone's lips move or whatever. It's like lots of like weird micro uh, expressions that maybe a lot of which are lost on Zoom, body, you know, language, that kind of thing, pheromones, whatever. And the idea that um, virtual reality, which basically would only be working on two of your five senses, right. would be a, it's not the holodeck, right? I mean, it's not mm -hmm. like, you know, it, the holodeck would put the business of prostitution out of business. Like <laughs> meta will not, yes. um, <laughs> is one way to put it. And, um, that, that is one way of putting it. Yes. And, um, Japanese, like, you guys, us there, don't worry. <laughs> do you guys know what the uncanny Valley problem is? So this is a real thing. Um, like, uh, and it, if we were a TV show, I would cut to the, there's a great, I swear, great explanation of it in 30 Rock. Um, because Tracy Morgan wants to have a uh, virtual reality video game, porn video game. And um, and they explain and 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 it's explained to him why it probably can't work because of the uncanny valley problem, which is a real thing in robotics and artificial simulation stuff. And basically goes something like this: the closer to um, looking like an actual human being, an artificial simulation of a human being is the creepier it gets. Mm -hmm. And so no one's freaked out by Yoda or job of the hut or cartoons or whatever, but like, yeah, like the dude in polar express or, um, <laughs> yeah. have you ever seen Mars needs moms? One of the creepiest friggin' movies ever made. Like <laughs> when you get this sort of, when, when they try to do CGI that looks like actual human beings, they're trying to make it seem like they're actual humans. All of a sudden the part of your brain that picks up on that is looking for these micro expressions and these other tells that say, say you're a human start to freak out and you get mm -hmm. uncomfortable. I think this is one of the reasons why people tended to look away when Al Gore was speaking. And so <laughs> the, the, um, uh, the uncanny value problem is a real problem. It's why you can do dragons, no problem and orcs and golem yeah. and all that kind of thing. But right. if you're trying to do some, if you're trying to pretend that someone is another human, all of a sudden your brain is much more attentive to that stuff mm -hmm. because it's looking for the stuff we expect from humans. And, and this gets to something uh, I find really fascinating. I wish I had talked to Paul Bloom about more. The part of your brain, this is my understanding of at least, part of your brain that recognizes faces is like more robust and older than mm. the part of your brain that no, does speech by like orders of magnitude. It's like um, just a much more developed, much older, much more important thing. And you can understand why in ancient time, you know, prehistoric times, why reading faces was really important because no one had the friggin' New York times. That's what you read is people's yeah, faces, yeah. you know? And, mm -hmm. um, and so it's funny. I mean, this is a weird, I think this, I think this was Kevin Williamson's example of this. Like, do you guys know who Chris Pine is? Right. He's, he played the captain Kirk in Actor, the remix, right? right? Yeah. And yeah. you guys know who, um, what's his face is, uh, the Jason Bourne guy, um, Matt Damon, Matt Damon. Now, yeah. When you see them, you instantly recognize that one is the, the who they are. You can tell them apart in <laughs> yeah. a heartbeat, right? Yeah. 
how hard would you have to work to explain the differences in their faces? Like, yeah, wow. You know, it's hard, you know, and it's like, well, his nose is, and, I, and you could say, well, <laughs> one's nose is shorter or whatever, but it wouldn't accurate. It wouldn't, yeah. if you were the listener, you wouldn't be like, oh, now I understand. Right. I will instantly recognize Matt Damon from Chris Pine. If a, if a sketch artist had to draw them both, they'd probably be pretty similar. <laughs> exactly. And, and yeah. like, if, if you couldn't say to the sketch artist, okay, make the nose narrower or make the eyes wide, you know, here, mm -hmm. if you just had to give a verbal description, the guy couldn't do it essentially. Right. And right. Um, and that's because our appreciation of faces is so much more hmm. profound than our ability to describe them. And I think mm -hmm. that's true for a lot of, a lot of stuff. And, and you, then you think about the fact that like smell is actually like our most emotionally and cognitively yeah. powerful sense and all that kind of thing. Yeah. The idea that, that meta isn't going to be like a better graphics version of second life. I'm just very, hmm. very skeptical of, or in other words, is saying, Unless you're going to put everybody in some sort of like giant iron lung pod yeah. that, you know, stimulates their sense, all of their senses and stuff when they're in the metaverse, then. Yeah. I, oh, I get to walk around now. Like I get right, to like, exactly. Go look out yeah. the window in this fake world. Um, I just, yeah. I just don't buy it, you know? Yeah, I agree. It, it seems like, uh. Everyone I've talked to about it or I've seen on Twitter is everyone's like, I don't think this is what I want for, for, for my world, yeah. for my life. So and I don't think it's actually going to work. Two things that ran through my head. I mean, to your first point, Jonah, I thought that's exactly right. While Ryan was describing it, all I could think was, well, people are lonelier and more isolated than ever now, even though they're ostensibly more connected by Facebook and everything. Rates of loneliness are through the roof. More and more, you've seen all these studies and articles like recently about how young men in particular don't know what to do with their lives. They can't find fulfilling occupations. They don't want to go to college. They have, most of them have hardly any close friends. Why would this make, this would only compound right, yeah. that, make people <laughs> right, more yeah. miserable. And the, but also, when to, to that second point, what I thought of was those, some of those deep fakes that have been coming out recently, right? Like that really sinister mm, mm. series of Tom Cruise deep fakes from earlier in the yeah, year, yeah, yeah. where it yeah. really does look a lot like Tom Cruise, but yeah. there's something yeah, that's scary. deeply off-putting about it. There's something ineffable almost about it that is disturbing under the surface. Well, well look at video games, right? Like I feel like video game graphics were getting better and better and better and better and like really really realistic and then they kind of went backwards like mm -hmm. Fortnite was the biggest game ever to exist and those are clearly cartoons they probably right, could have right. made those things look like real life but they didn't yeah. i think it freaks people out well it's also I mean, it's funny because like uh, andrew breitbart who's a good friend of mine um um when we used to like text wasn't a thing when we started doing this it was like aol instant messenger but mm -hmm. uh i had one of those like he was um um he's the first guy to point out to me how movies were starting to take on the the logic or the the, the structure of video games and mm. and i think it was because we were talking about blade you know mm -hmm. which was the mm -hmm. wesley snipes uh vampire comic book movie and in the beginning fighting one of the sort of minor vampires took a lot of work and mm -hmm. then by the end he's killing hundreds of those but the big boss is like really hard to kill kind of thing yeah. and yeah. um and you can that's sort of how it was in the lord of the rings movies where at first a single orc was like this big problem and then by the end of it like you have the power to like you know, you just, you're just basically running past orcs and running your sword along them and they fall kind of thing because the stakes go up. And, um, it's funny how like now in the, in, in most of the like Avengers movies and that kind of thing, they don't have like, or the Marvel movies, like, uh, I was, re I was looking at Thor Ragnarok recently, you know, it's like mm -hmm. all of the armies are it's not clear whether they're like demons or, or autom automaton creatures or, or manufactured. I mean, it's just like, it's, but there's no moral consequence to killing them. 
right? And it's like, you never like, yeah. ooh, right. that guy had a family. Yeah. That just doesn't hurt <laughs> yeah, you, right? right? <laughs> you know, in the big fight at the end of uh, the Avengers, you know, series, the things that like, you know, you know, the forces from Wakanda are killing, you're like, yeah. kill more of them. I do not care. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> exactly. That's actually just and it's not quite this. That's one of the many reasons why the Star Wars prequels are garbage and make absolutely no sense. Because the war, the two big forces on both sides of the war are disposable cloned people who all look exactly the right. same and bumbling robots that all look exactly the same. So where's the right. emotional investment supposed to come from? No, exactly. It's, it's like you can't die. If you die, I'll only know 939 million more of you. Um, but uh, this is this podcast is slowly just turning into a sci-fi podcast. Well, you know, <laughs> last, last Saturday was Dune. How was the reception to that one, Jonah? I, that I'm generally positive. I mean, I think it yeah. helped a lot to have a disclaimer up front that um, if this was not going to be your cup of tea in any way, don't listen, which I'm a big believer in. It's like, and that's it. It, it, it's bizarre to me how often this happens when I write G files, like at the airport or whatever, and I got to get on mm-hmm. a plane and I'll say up front, Hey, I'm really winging this thing. I only yeah. have like 83 <laughs> minutes to write this. Yeah. If, if you don't want to hear just a straight run on sentence of a rant, <laughs> don't read this. And then yeah. like the first 10 comments are all like, this is just like a straight run on sentence of a rant. <laughs> I was like, yeah. You know? And it's like, <laughs> Yeah. How yeah. dare the burrito joint sell burritos? I mean, I'm like straightforward <laughs> with people, but it did it did pretty well with downloads. It didn't there was no significant dip, let me put it that yeah. way. Well, I mean so that makes I mean that makes some sense because I think Yeah, I I figured there was an audience for it. Yeah. And <laughs> he, let's put it he this sarcastically way. says, Yeah, someone No, no I'm serious. I know, Ryan was I know the one pushing it. I mean, no, I wasn't yeah, pushing I, it. I I, I, was, I, I, I was, caved to Ryan's, you know, uh, you know. <laughs> pressure on <laughs> yes yes i'm nothing if but a ratings whore um, <laughs> um but uh no i mean i think we probably lost 10 percent of listeners because of it and i think we probably gained 10 percent of listeners who yeah. don't normally listen but wanted to hear the dune thing so you know mm-hmm. sort of a wash mm-hmm. um um but the disturbing thing i think i told you this is that the staff meeting was that a lot of people were like okay now you got to do the Star Trek universe and the Star Wars universe. That's right. Yeah. I know. That kind of yeah. Thing. I was like, yeah, I, in fact, don't have to. Um, <laughs> I'm not we saying I won't. I'm just want. saying it's like there was nothing, yeah. there was no like <laughs> iron law prophecy that stems from us doing the Dune thing that I must now do this for all these other things. And I have, I have no choice in the matter. In no way did you say this is now a series on sci fi <laughs> movies. No, it was a Dune podcast. You know, we could do it for Spider-Man when the new movie comes out. No, we do it for Bond. Did you see James Bond? I did see James Bond, and I, I'd be more interested in about Bond than on Spider-Man. What? 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 What is? There's no themes, you know, like <laughs> vital yeah. themes to Spider-Man. Although I did once write, and I'll stand by it, um, that Spider-Man was the first neoconservative superhero. Because <laughs> I'm going to need a little bit of an yeah, explanation. Me too. <laughs> um, because he was sort of a selfish kid, right? When he first gets his firepowers and he just wants to make money off of it. And, um, uh, and he thinks he's, you'd be a sucker to like go out of your way to save someone's life and all that kind of, even though he had the power to do it. And the moral of the story is of course that he try he, he doesn't bother to stop some dude who's, who's robbing a place who escapes, even though he was asked, Hey, stop that guy. And then that guy goes on to kill his uncle Ben and thus learns Peter Parker, the overriding lesson of the spider ver- Spider-Man oeuvre, which is with great power comes great responsibility. And, go. um, as, I, and when I use neoconservative here, I don't use it in the way I normally would, which is like, it's not a foreign policy thing, but like in that context, it's kind of a foreign policy thing. It's like, uh, there's, there, there, Let's put it this way. Costa Rica has a lot more excuses, a lot better excuses for why it did nothing to stop the Rwandan genocide. Like, it doesn't have a Navy. It doesn't really have an Air (laughs) Force. Like, it it literally couldn't. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, saying, why didn't Costa Rica, you know, stop the Rwandan genocide is like saying, you know, why didn't Bud Gretnick 
accountant and CPA in Cleveland, Ohio, stop the Krakatoa eruption. It's just like, <laughs> couldn't do it, right? But when you yeah. have the power to do something, then you have to choose whether or not it, you should use your power for good or for ill, or whether using that power would be for good or for ill, and all these kinds of questions. And, and so, you know, Spider-Man, unlike a lot of superheroes, he was like the first superhero. Now it's like a thing, right? Now it's like taken to the nth level where like Deadpool, yeah. right? you still have to like reconvince him five times a week to do the right thing, yeah. you know, because he's a yeah. jerk. But like, yeah, I mean, that's the whole character, but yeah. right. And that's like a much in like the Punisher. I mean, there are lots of like deeply mm -hmm. dark people who end up doing good almost incidentally to their personalities and all that kind of stuff. Blade, Peter Parker like was you said. Blaine, yeah. But but Spider-Man or Peter Parker was one of the first to like introduce this concept of like, holy crap, now that I have the power to do something, I have a moral obligation to do something which I didn't have before I had the power. And so mm -hmm. anyway, something that was the argument as I recall from Who like knew? 18 years ago. So screw you. Makes <laughs> no sense to me. Um, <laughs> All right, so what else should we do? What else should we talk about? Well, Jonah, Ryan and I were talking in the green room earlier about something completely arbitrary, but still amusing to both of us. I don't know if it'll be painful and unearth repressed memories for you. About a well, it would have been more than a decade ago, actually, when liberal fascism came out. You were invited on the Young Turks by Cenk Iger to discuss the book, and then of course it turned into an attempted sandbagging on his part. It was only going through my head, randomly still, but going through my head because that was the first thing I ever heard with you in it. That was the first time I ever heard you talk and debate, and I thought it was hilarious. But Ryan, Ryan was intrigued by it too because he also used to think it was funny. So what happened there? Okay, so... First of all, is that how you pronounce Cenk's last name? Last name? Iger? I, I think. Is it I guess I mean I'm, I'm not I saying you're know. wrong. I just I never I, Yeah. Yeah. Um Okay, so you're right, this was a long time ago. Um I was on the book tour. I was in New York. I barely knew much about that show at the time. It was not like a major priority for me in any stretch of it. And I believe I did it by cell phone in my hotel room. I remember like not being able to hear well and all this kind of stuff and it being like creepy connection. And, um, um, and I remember my big, again, I have no idea if they've edited it. I mean, whatever, but like the thing that's, I, I know this may sound weird. The thing that stands out the most for me in my memory of it was other than him being a colossal dick um was uh that he cared a lot about elizabeth warren who was someone i gotta admit i had not paid a lot she was not a senator yet like this right at that like, point yeah this was all about like should she be the head of this new consumer protection something or other you know the thing that mm -hmm. sort of made her famous, you know, 12 she was years not ago, elizabeth warren at that point yeah and like was yeah. she still at harvard and, at that time or I think so. I mean, I honestly don't know because like one of the things that stood out for me is like every now and then when you do interviews with people, you know, they ask you something you just straight up don't know anything about. And it's hmm. kind of terrifying. And yeah, I'm not saying that I didn't know anything about it, but I remember not knowing much and certainly not being invested in or cared about or having, a, having done a lot of homework on. And, um, and so he was so passionate about it and he kept asking me, so, you know, do you support it? Are you against it? As if like this was, you know, as if this was like the, the 19th century and I was being asked whether I thought, you know, Trieste belonged to the Italians or something. And <laughs> I just, just didn't, I, you know, yeah. and so again, I could be remembering this wrong, but I just remember thinking, holy crap, this Elizabeth Warren woman, this, apparently this is very important to some people. And, um, <laughs> And then he started asking about the book. And as I remember, he just kept saying, yeah, well, that's stupid or something like that. <laughs> and, um, and I, and that's, I, I have to be honest, that's sort of the sum total of my recollection of it. Other than I, I believe I was kind of, I gave back what he was giving me. Um, mm. and it comes up every now and then with people, 
sort of like the John Stewart appearance comes up um from the, that tour and um uh the John Stewart one mattered more for all sorts of reasons cuz Cenk is not I mean who gives a rat's ass but you know but John Stewart thing really mattered and a lot of people saw that and that was weird yeah and um uh did you do how many times did you go on John Stewart I think I've only been on John Stewart twice maybe three times and gotcha. like the first times I was on went great and then uh for liberal fascism he tried to sandbag me and also make fun of me in all sorts of ways and mm-hmm. it was a fecal fest it was just not yeah it, it didn't it, it was weird and he admitted it. i mean to his credit i mean again i have not rewatched that either because I, I try really hard not to like revisit these things yeah. but he <laughs> did it air yeah so it? like well so yeah. i mean i don't know if you know it. so like you know the book comes out it was not um well received in certain circles yeah and <laughs> um Stuart has me on and i like Stuart personally i gotta say i mean i have mm-hmm. serious disagreements with him obviously but like we would have been friends in high school. We're about the same age. Yeah. We're both sort of yeah. like goofy a New Jersey, kid. New yeah. York, New Jersey, Jewish guys, you know, culturally Jewish yeah. guys with a irreverence and humor and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, um, uh, so I got along with them fine in green room, whatever and other appearances. And, and then I get on the show and he just tries to nuke me from orbit. And, um, and so it was supposed to be a six minute segment. We we're supposed to t- tape for maybe eight minutes and that kind of thing. I think we rolled tape for like 25, 26 minutes. Wow. And uh, lots of F bombs were dropped. And I don't oh. mean the word fascism. And, <laughs> and then they stopped taping and we kept going with each other for like another 10 minutes in front of the audience with no, no tape rolling. And were they just like silent? <laughs> was there any? <laughs> the whole thing was weird. The, I mean, the whole thing was like surreal. And like, again, it was a crazy book tour kind of moment, right? So, like, yeah, yeah. So, again, I didn't watch it. I am mm-hmm. like going to, and like, immediately afterwards, I had to do like a bunch of other radio things. So, it was like, oh, should I, sure. this is, this is going to be a disaster when this comes out. I wonder what they're going right. to do. And to, I don't want to say to Stewart's credit because I think he was acting in bad faith. Part of, so, part of the problem, look, I mean, some of the questions he asked were fine, as I recall, but the basic problem, and, and I, I'm very hard on myself about a couple things that he asked about that I didn't have immediately better answers for, but mm-hmm. I had been in the weeds on the, my subject matter for six years or something like that, right? and I had not practiced getting sort of, I had not practiced at all getting sort of, not necessarily sophisticated questions, but less than dumb seemingly smart questions that are i should have been able to knock back so at one point he reads me some quote from mussolini about you know we are opposed to liberalism in all of its forms and blah 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 and i didn't have the answer i should have which was that yeah Mussolini. that's that's mussolini's big speech on manchester liberalism which is a speech about the evils of liberal democratic capitalism about free market capitalism because manchester liberalism is is free market capitalism and mm-hmm. in the 19th century that manchester liberalism was literally the, the the going word or phrase for my kind of free market mm-hmm. conservatism right and mm-hmm. um sort of classical liberal f- open borders trade kind of stuff and mm-hmm. uh but so what he had done is he basically he spent like an afternoon googling fascism stuff and reading wikipedia and so it yeah. made him and I, I don't say this as a criticism. I mean that this made him a more sophisticated interviewer than most everybody else I talked to who didn't even bother doing yeah. it. Right, and, right. and so he caught me a little off guard and it bothered me. And, um, but for the most part, I just think I gave as good as I got and it, we were just banging heads about it. And I remember mm-hmm. after the stuff stopped rolling, I remember saying to him, you know, look, I, I, I gotta be honest with you. I, I kind of don't get it. There've been like five books in the last three years talking about how America's going fascist about how George W. Bush is a fascist, about, you know, uh, evangelical Christians yeah. are fascist, blah, 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 blah. Right. And this doesn't, and you're like, you just shouldn't use the word fascist. And I kept trying to explain to him that, first of all, part of the whole point of the book was to get people to stop using the word fascist. And that, and on that, I mm. completely plead guilty. I failed utterly. I think I've done <laughs> enormous damage in some ways by making fascism a bipartisan term of abuse. And that's, I, I regret mm. that. But uh, he, um, and I was like saying, how, I mean, have you read Naomi Wolf's stuff? 
And this was back when yeah. Naomi Wolf wasn't quite as obviously back guano nuts <laughs> right. as she is now. Right. But um, and I remember him saying, "Yeah, but Johnny, you don't understand. It's like everyone knows Naomi Wolf is crazy. Like you just have to ignore that stuff." <laughs> and I thought, "I really wish the tapes were rolling when you'd said that." You know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so it was a it was it was great. So anyway, I leave and then. I go off and do these other radio shows and TV hits or whatever. And then at like 11 o'clock at night, I'm walking back to my hotel or something. And I check my, um, I guess my phone, you know what? I didn't have an iPhone back then, but I did get, you know, like my Tom, whatever, whatever I could check my email mm-hmm. on. My, and the daily show thing is blowing up all over the place, particularly in like at national review, because what Stewart apparently did was say, okay, look, we taped really long. There's no way to edit this properly. So we're just going to give you some highlights of what happened. And Oh Lord. And so they just did a montage of like 45 second clips with sometimes him just asking the question and then the thing flips, or at least that's the way I remember it. Again, I haven't watched in a long time, but lots of people thought that was really, really unfair and came rushing to my defense. And I don't know if it was unfair because having edited video before that may have simply have been just the best way to do it. Right. And I wrote some response about it. And I said it was I kind of felt like I was being it was set up in bad faith. And he called me and and said, you know, look, I just want to be clear. That's not you know, obviously we have disagreements, but mm-hmm. that was not my intent. And I, I'd love to have you back on to talk about this more. And it is now Friday, November 5th, 2021. <laughs> and I have not been invited back to have a conversation with John Stewart. Uh, since then. That was your Buckley Vidal moment. <laughs> I actually know, bit. I literally know on his new show, basically for all intents and purposes, the Booker. Really? <laughs> so if you, yeah, if you want to go back on the show, I'm happy to talk know, about. I don't want to talk text. about a twelve year old book I wrote, you know. But uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. But I actually no. had a great experience on Daily Show with Trevor Noah for Suicide of the West. Um, he was very that one I've seen. That one was a good conversation. Yeah, he was very friendly about. It, so yeah, how do you choose? topics to write a book on by the way to me like writing a book is just like it like i don't know why people do it it's terrible <laughs> it's crazy rich, hard of course hey jonah all those royalties <laughs> well, that's the thing right it's like that i mean they're successful books but like you'd have to have a real blockbuster to be that's true yeah. uh and like my books have done very well liberal fascism did extremely well uh but mm-hmm. like i never got any of that david mccullough money you know like i yeah i don't I, yeah, exactly yeah no second well, home for me too. that kind of thing yeah i want to but my point is like so like there's a right tail you know so um 95 maybe i'm off by a couple points but like 95 percent of books don't make back their advance um mm. and i think the average advance for a book is like five grand so like mm. most books don't make a lot of money for people um, and mm-hmm. some, one way they do make money for people is they're an excuse to do other, you know, speeches and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. um, I've done well. So I'm in the top 1% of authors in terms of how my books have done, but I'm at the, wow. but I, against that backdrop, I mean, like literally there are sure. academics who churn out books that like 3000 people read and, and 1000 people buy. And, um, but at the, you know, like like a lot of these distributions, let's put it this way. I, I think, and this is, again, I don't know this for sure, but directionally this is right. Liberal fascism all told, probably sold in hardback and, and paperback, something like 350, 400,000 copies, something like that. Wow. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little more if you count foreign sales, I'm not sure. Um, wow. David McCullough books, like the lowest selling ones start at like 4 million copies. Right. So like the scale is just off the charts different. And, um, and, uh, and anyway, so to answer the question, um, uh, I don't have a great answer for you. Like, um, (laughs) yeah, it just basically needs to be for me. And I'm sure it's completely different for other people because it's a weird answer for me. It has to be some idea that no matter how hard you try to write about it in a couple columns or a couple magazine pieces, you still can't mm-hmm. get it out of your head. Yeah. And that it tends to, it tends to sort of creep into every aspect of your thinking life is like, Oh, this is another example of this large 
meta idea that I have. Right. And, um, and then you also just need the, cause I have, I have a bunch of book ideas in me that I wouldn't mind doing, but mm-hmm. you, you need both <laughs> the internal desire cause it sucks writing books. Um, so you say the ideas is probably the easy part. Yeah. I mean, but again, it has to be, again, for me, it has to be an idea that you're not likely to lose excitement over, over the course of a year or two years or three years working Mm -hmm. on. And that's hard. Right. And two, it's gotta be something that somebody else hasn't already written. And three, um, you need the space in your life to do it and, Mm -hmm. um, just sort of the bandwidth and, um, and like the first book I needed to do because I needed to like, we needed to make one, it was an idea I really was excited about, but two, it was like, had a brand new baby and needed to make money and, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And, and, and mm-hmm. there's men, once they have a baby, uh, and I, what I mean that is that once their biological female spouse has a baby or once they adopt a baby, I do not mean that men can have babies. Um, but once, <laughs> once, once, for yeah, once, once, du- <laughs> once dudes are, we well, have to say that these days, right? Once dudes are fathers, um, you know, there's all sorts of empirical evidence about this. Once dudes are fathers, they tend to like work much, much, much harder. And so that was, yeah. you know, part of yeah. it. Um, but like now I have a couple ideas for books. I can't, it's unfair to the dispatch to like, like undertake right. a book project right now. Um, because well, so like a, a lot of, like you'll see in journalism world, people take book leaves and that yeah. seems that's all they do. It's just, they stop writing articles every day and they write a book. Yeah. I, I, my only problem with the whole thing with, with like mainstream repertorial journalists who do books mm-hmm. is there's, I get it. I've had these arguments with, with, with people who've written these kinds of books, but there is something, something's just not right about being a reporter on a campaign and working out a deal where the campaign will tell you all sorts of stuff, but you just can't use it until yeah, after the election, you know? And I get it again. They weren't, you know, they're all their responses make rational sense. It's like, well, they wouldn't tell me any of this stuff if we didn't have this deal. So it's not like I would have known it and been able to report it. It's you the know? Woodward problem. Yeah. yeah. And, but yeah. It, but again, there's just something off kilter because it's sort of it's sort of like one of the most dishonest things in my experience in journalism. It's less the case now because they don't do exit polls the way they used to. But mm-hmm. like when you're on set for a TV show to talk about the election before the polls are closed and you know what the exit polls say, but you can't say because they're embargoed <laughs> and it's really, it was really funny for years watching people who knew what the exit polls said and knew that X was winning or Y was losing and then would just have to be like, well, it's still a close race, but I think if <laughs> turnout is heavier in Western yeah. you know, Pennsylvania, that kind of stuff. And what yeah, they were yeah, doing yeah. was pretending they didn't know something. It was like, there's something just ethically yeah, skeevy about honest. all that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there, do you have a book idea that is like a dream book idea that no publisher would ever say yes to? Well, uh, that's an interesting question. A little late in the podcast to be asking this. This might have to be the end or this might be the, the closer. Well, I mean, I, I, two points. One is I wanted to do, you know, I, I would say this all the time. I, you know, I didn't want to be a pundit or whatever I am mm-hmm. a journalist. <laughs> uh, um, I wanted to write comic books and sci-fi novels. That was like the thing I wanted to do in high school. And, um, yep. so I have some sci-fi ideas for sure. Like yeah. you know, that <laughs> yeah. I just need, I, I, I need the financial comfort to be able to do that. Yeah. And, um, cause I have no belief that no confidence that I would like, make a lot of money and right the thing about particularly sci-fi <laughs> kind of things just quickly this is something i've always wanted let's say tomorrow you decided hell i'm gonna write a sci-fi novel would your name work against you of trying to find a publisher for that would publishers be reluctant to take it on because of all the because of your politics and all of your other work 
I don't think at this point, no, I don't think so. I, I think the problem there is more that, um, like one of the things I'm lucky about is that it is very hard if you're a young writer to get a first book contract these days because the the nature of the market. If you have a proven sales record, it's pretty easy to get mm-hmm. a book contract because what a lot of publishers do is they're just betting on past performance being predictive of future performance and they can justify mm-hmm. that to their boards or their shareholders or whatever. So like, you know, this is one of my abiding, you know, like hair pulling regrets is my agent once told me that if my much underrated book, Tyranny of Clichés, uh, had sold as well as liberal fascism, I would no longer need to write book proposals. I would just have a quote for my next book, <laughs> which would have been friggin' awesome. Um, That'd been nice. But anyway, uh, I, I, so I, 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 I mean, maybe the world of fiction is different and my name would work against me, but I, again, I kind of doubt it. Um, no, the problem is, it's like, it's like when Newt Gingrich started writing historical fiction stuff and he would have sex scenes yeah. in it and that kind of thing. Like everyone would like quote unquote re- reprint. Yeah, I know. But they, they, would, they would excerpt just the most embarrassing sex scenes out of context and yeah. like and just putting Newt Gingrich and sex scene together together conceptually in your head. No, thanks. no not thanks. great. You know, and, nope. Um, nope, nope, nope. And I could see how using like, con- you know, stuff out of context in a sci-fi you know fiction thing for me would just Mm -hmm. really be bad and um (laughs) but on the non-fiction side like if i were to write a memoir i don't really understand how i could possibly write a memoir because most of my life experience has been sitting alone in front of a laptop somewhere which is just (laughs) you know there's not a lot of like throw me the whip throw me the idol yeah (laughs) and you know that kind of thing and um but, uh, uh, like I have all sorts of theories about why people are the way they are in Washington and, mm-hmm. and some of them are grounded in some like empirical evidence that, yeah, yeah. But so I'll give you, and I think I've said this on the podcast before and we don't need to go into details cause I gotta get going. But, um, yeah, like the most underrated and under commented upon which is not so these are important qualifiers this is not the most important explanation for people's behavior but it is the one that gets the least attention and is assigned the least importance relative to its actual importance is the role of spouses in uh, intellectual and political life and you hear about it every now and then with politicians you know mitch daniels doesn't run because his wife doesn't want him to that kind of thing colin powell didn't run for president because his wife told him he couldn't that that stuff is a little more discussed but in my line of work, like there are lots of particularly dudes, cause it's still top heavy with men, but you know, it's mm-hmm. who are just terrified of their wives and who <laughs> over time start moving left because their wives are left wing and, huh. or start moving right. Cause their wives are right wing or, you know, and sometimes yeah. it happens with, 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 with women too, in, in, in different kinds of ways. And like, it is very liberating to have, to be married to somebody who, first of all, I mean, keeps me ideologically sort of on path kind of thing. I mean, it's not like I'm super tempted to go left, but, but also cares about like the the same things I care about and has a sense of integrity about whatever. Um, and be very difficult to do that if, and this was like Ben Wattenberg's theory about why, uh, the LBJ administration, whatever went soft on Vietnam is that all these politicians were afraid of their wives and daughters. Um, <laughs> and, but like I, so like I, again, the reason why I, you know, you cannot name names about this right, right yeah, now. Right. You know, like right. not if I want to keep working and it's a really yeah. <laughs> it's kind of an asinine thing to, to say about people. Right. Yeah. But I'm mean, going to give you one example only because it has been reported upon and completely confirmed confirms my thesis, at least in this regard. So for years I had this theory that this phenomenon was going on with Paul Krugman, that Mm. he had married this very radical professor, I think at Princeton. And because he had gone from being sort of like 
an eminently reasonable, serious, snarky guy who criticized the Clinton administration and all this kind of stuff and just moved mm-hmm. ever further left and ever thir- further into like wackadoodle stuff. And then the New Yorker does this big profile of him where, first of mm-hmm. all, they reveal he's got some very strange names for his cats. <laughs> they reveal that when he was a kid, he wanted to be Harry Seldon, the guy from the, the Foundation series. And they reveal that his wife punches up all of his columns and <laughs> that, you know, she takes, you know, she just turns things to 11 on stuff because she's to his left. And, but I know this about, I mean, I've just, in my experience from social life, from friends of friends and from all that other kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. seen it time and time again. And, um, uh, but no one talks about it. And so like there's sometimes right. there are these conversations. Again, I'm not going to name names. There's these conversations like, wow, such and such person has really changed. And you try to come up with explanations for it. And the obvious one is, yeah, you know, he, he just got remarried and his wife's like, whatever. And you're like, <laughs> but you're not allowed to say that. You know, you have to say, right. oh, he, right. he, he read this obscure intellectual or, you know, he was <laughs> burned by this betrayal by this politics, you know, and it's like, and like all yeah. those things may have played into it, but it's like the real answer is closer to home. Yeah. And so I always think about like, if I had a few money and I was writing my memoirs and I was going to walk away from all this stuff, which I'm often tempted to <laughs> do, that's the kind of <laughs> shit part. Please believe that. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff I would uh, include in my, you know, my take on my time in Washington. Yes. So. Yes. All right, gentlemen. Anything else we got to talk about? Um, uh, tell the fair Jessica that dinner the other night was absolutely amazing, oh. and thank you both for hosting. It was really awesome. Yeah, I, yeah, no, it was I enjoyed it. Being sat here in England, <laughs> it was great, lovely. It was um, so good, guy. You would have loved it. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know, we still have a big tub of beer on ice back there. We we emptied out the extra ice that we got onto it, and it's, it's been so cold. It's fine. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, for listeners who don't know, we had, uh, this was a crazy week for all sorts of reasons and, um, not just my soul draining gastrointestinal distress. And, um, uh, and we had, a almost all staff, a couple of people couldn't make it, uh, party at my house on Wednesday night. And, um, um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was like, like my wife hadn't met like two thirds of the staff yet. And she was just like, it's, that's just a great bunch of people. And she was like, you know, and one of the things that made it just so much more pleasant is the guy wasn't there. Right. Um, she would despise me. I know. I know. <laughs> so, all right, gentlemen, thank you for, thank you for, you know, uh, being the equivalent of the two dudes in white coats who walked me to the bathroom on this one. And, uh, um, <laughs> You've got to go now, Jonah. We're a better place. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I kind of feel like you're walking me to the to the video presentation at the end of Soylent Green. Um, all right. Uh, if people don't understand the reference, shame on you. Uh, keep hope alive, and I'll see you next time. No, you won't. This is a podcast. And I'm going to do old man complaining about my body in the beginning just to explain because I think it was pretty and creepy and cryptic in the um, at the end of the last one. So um, I love that. I hit record just before you said that. <laughs> <laughs> so we got all of it. Woo! Yay. <laughs> <laughs>